All right, good morning, everybody. Good morning. We're going to begin. If you would like any of the handouts that were given in the first two weeks, they're sitting on the table, extras of them right next to Jeremy and Calvin. I'm also going to pass around the attendance clipboard. If you could register that, that would be helpful. By way of review, for those that haven't been here or for those that have forgotten, Fallen asleep like Christian does in our journey today. We began with a man in the city of destruction. And he becomes aware of his fate, of his destiny, by reading a book. And he's pictured dressed in rags, carrying a big burden on his back. And he flees from this city. Doesn't know where he's going yet. But evangelist comes and evangelist points him. He says, do you see the wicked gate? And he says, no, I can't really see it. Well, do you see the light over there? Go towards the light. Go towards the light. And he quickly in his journey meets obstinate and pliable. Two characters that represent. Well, does anybody remember what they might represent? Obstinance, yes, thank you. Someone who's pliable and easily Yes, so these are two responses, two typical responses to the gospel. One person is stubborn, his heels are dug in, he's like a mule, he has no interest in the things of the Lord. Why would would I leave this city? It's comfortable here. Why would I go on this journey, which is surely full of all sorts of dangers? And Pliable says, I like what you're saying about heaven, I'm going to go with you. Heaven sounds great, I'll have that. So Pliable joins Christian in the journey, and they immediately meet the sly of despond. And uh, Pliable... Says, this is terrible. What, what have you done? Why have you brought me here? That's it, I'm leaving. And he scampers out without a burden on his back. Remember, he doesn't have any conviction. All he's concerned with is heaven. And so he scampers away. Christian eventually makes it through the slough. And he soon after meets Mr. Worldly Wise Man. And Mr. Worldly Wise Man tells them about... Um, The leader of a town called Morality says, you need to go to meet Mr. Legality, Mr. Law, and he'll take your burden off. And if Mr. Legality is not home, then go see Mr. Civility. So he's saying you can get rid of your burden, your conviction, your sinful feeling, if you would just obey the law better. That's one response from Mr. Worldly Wise Man. You just be better. And if you can't be better meeting Mr. Legality, you can at least see Mr. Civility. You can at least play nice. Be nice, be polite, be kind, and your burden will be gone. Christian then goes to Interpreter's house where he is taken on a tour of seven rooms. The first of which had a portrait of a man with a very grave look on his face, a serious man, and he had a book in his hand, and his eyes were to heaven, and behind him was the world. And what was this a portrait of? Anybody remember? This is a picture of a minister of God's Word. He has the most important book in his hand. His eyes are set to heaven. He has a serious, sober look about him because he's doing... A grave work. And behind him is the world. He's pleading with people. Go. Look. Second room he's taken to is the room that was full of dust. And a young maiden comes in and starts sweeping the dust. And it stirs up everything. And it chokes out the people that are in the room. And then she comes and she sprinkles some water down. And only once the water is down can the room be cleaned. And Bunyan is picturing there... Two different ways to try to clean up the human heart. One is with the law 
of sweeping. And it just stirs up more sin. It stirs up more conviction. It doesn't actually clean anything. But once the water of the gospel is sprinkled, then a heart can be cleaned. And he's taken to a room with two children sitting in chairs, one named Passion and one named Patience. And Passion is demanding, I want now, 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 now. But Patience is content to wait. And these are two pictures of how people respond. They want immediate gratification or they're willing to wait until the heavenly inheritance that is to come. Then we're taken to a beautiful picture of a fire in a fireplace. And it's got water that's being thrown on the fire, but it's growing and growing. It's not going out. And picture uh, Christian is taken around to the backside of the fireplace where we see a servant putting oil into the fire from behind. And here we have a picture of Satan trying to extinguish the zeal and the love and the heart of a believer. But behind it, we have the secret ministry of the Holy Spirit stoking that fire. Then we're taken to a stately palace where a man in armor is fighting. And he's eventually victorious. There's a big battle. And that's a picture of the Christian life. Bunyan is reminding us that it is war. It's spiritual warfare. Then we saw in the sixth room the terrifying picture of a man in an iron cage, locked in, who could not get out. And this was uh, Bunyan's attempt to illustrate the person who has rejected the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that has spurned the work of God, who has heard of the gospel, and who for a time tasted of the heavenly benefits, that was around the church, that looked like a believer, that acted like a believer on the outside, but in the end proved he wasn't. And he became encaged by his own lusts, his own sins, his passions. And then the seventh room was the room of the dreamer who woke up and was terrified. He was shaking, the text said, because he thought that he had been left behind. Meaning he had come to the final judgment and he was deemed to be among the goats, not among the sheep. That leads us to where we're going to be today. Christian... (coughs) leaves the interpreter's house and he heads down a road, a highway. The text says, Now I saw in my dream that the highway up which Christian was to go was fenced on either side with a wall. And the wall was called salvation. Up from there, uh, Christian burdened Christian did run down this highway, but not without great difficulty because of the load on his back. This highway is walled in with walls called salvation. This is referencing Isaiah 26, which says, In this day this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city, and he has set up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Salvation. Is protecting the way. And then Christian comes to a place. A very important place. It says he came to a place somewhat ascending. Upon which stood a cross. And a little, a little below in the bottom a sepulcher. Does anybody know what a sepulcher is? A grave. A tomb. So at the top of the hill, we see a cross. At the bottom of the hill, we see a tomb. 
And I saw in my dream that just as Christian came up to the cross, his burden loosed from off his shoulders. It fell off his back. It began to tumble down the hill and continued to do so till it came to the mouth of the sepulcher where it fell in and I saw it no more. Since Christian had been in the city of destruction and had been awakened to his need of salvation, he has had a terrible burden, a heavy weight on his back, a cumbersome feeling of guilt and shame because of his sin that nobody yet on his journey could have loosed it from him. Others have offered. They told him ways that he could go about getting it pried off or trying to get it removed or assuaged in some way. But then he gets to the cross. And simply by looking, there's no cutting, there's no tearing, there's no maneuvering, there's no way to rip it off of him. Simply by looking at the side of the cross, his burden tumbles. It falls down into the mouth. The cross and the sepulcher represent for us the work of Jesus in his crucifixion and in his resurrection. It's here at the cross that he finds Relief. Zechariah 12.10 says, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace, and they will look upon me whom they have pierced. Simply by looking. Bunyan, in his autobiography, describes his own relief when he was at the foot of the cross. He says, I remember that one day as I was traveling into the country and I was musing. He was reflecting, reminiscing upon the wickedness and the blasphemy that had been in his own heart and considering the enmity that was in me. The enmity between me and God. And the scripture came to mind. Colossians 1.20, it says that he hath made peace through the blood of his cross. By this scripture, I was made to see both again and again that day that my God and my soul were friends because of this blood. Yea, I saw that the justice of God and my sinful soul could embrace and kiss one another through this blood. This was a good day to me, and I hope that I shall not forget it. Christian's experience was also Bunyan's experience. Christian then, the text says, was glad and was lightsome. He had never felt so light. He had with a merry heart. He stood a while and he looked. And he looked there for, let's see. It says his cheeks were like springs. Water was streaming down his face. And then behold, three shining ones. Three glowing characters come to him. And they greeted him. And they said, Peace be to thee. And the first one said to him, Thy sins be forgiven. The second one stripped him of his rags and clothed him with a change of raiment. And the third one set a mark upon his forehead and gave him a roll, a scroll, with a seal on it told him to look on as he ran and it would give him help as he went to the celestial gate, his ultimate destination. 
These shining ones represent the work of our triune God in the heart of a sinner who's saved by grace. And they first, the first one declares that his sins are forgiven. This is the work of justification, an external declaration that you are righteous. You have been forgiven. Past tense. A positional change has been made. Your sins have been handled by the cross. The old hymn at the cross, some of you may know, says, At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away, it was there by faith I received my sight and now I'm happy all the day. That's what Christian is experiencing. The second one stripped Christian of his filthy rags. Stripped him of any hope of trusting in his own works of righteousness. It's reminiscent of Isaiah, where he describes our works as filthy rags in the sight of God. Christian is rather clothed in a change of raiment. He's given new robes. The imputed righteousness of Christ. He's robed in Christ's own perfection. He's pure, he's spotless, he's accepted in the sight of God. It's imagery reminiscent of Zechariah again, chapter 3, where it says, Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. And then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And he said to him, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. The third shining one puts a mark on Christian's forehead. Similar language to Ezekiel 9 or Revelation chapter 7. He also gives him a roll, a scroll that's sealed up. And this roll is his assurance of life and his acceptance at the desired haven, heaven. The seal represents the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, which testifies to us of our own conversion, of us being made into children of God. It's the assurance of his salvation. Bunyan, in his biography, relates the delight of his own conversion again. He said, it would be too long for me to stay here to tell you how in particular God did set me down in all the things of Christ and how he did that he might do so, lead me in his words. Yea, also he made these words to shine before me, to comfort me over and over. Later he says, Now I had an evidence, as I thought, of my salvation from heaven, of many golden seals thereon hanging in my sight. And I could remember this manifestation and the other discovery of grace with comfort. And I should often long and desire that that last day would come, that I might forever be inflamed with the sight and with joy of communion with him whose head was crowned with many thorns and whose face was spit upon and broken. He's saying, I often would linger thinking about the picture of the cross and Christ upon it, and it would give me encouragement to know that my salvation was secure. It's with these three shining ones' work done that Christian's heart is overjoyed. He leaps three times with joy before continuing on his way, again with a hymn in his heart. He's overwhelmed that Christ suffered and that he might be 
fully accepted before God. And so a question is before us, Bunyan scholars. Why did Bunyan not have evangelists send Christians straight to the cross? Why did he send them to the wicket gate? Why didn't he want him to go straight to the cross so his burden could be removed sooner? He sent him to the wicket gate. Perhaps more significantly, when in our story does Christian become a Christian? Is it when he goes through the wicket gate? Is it when he leaves the city of destruction? Is it at the cross where his burden falls away? Any guesses? Yes. Yes. Yeah, Bunyan scholars to this day debate what Bunyan is doing. Where is Christian saved in the journey? He got the name Christian soon after leaving, didn't he? He wasn't called a Christian at the very beginning. He might have been called graceless, we could say. He's called Christian. Later he goes through the wicket gate. But his burden doesn't come off. It's only at the cross that his burden comes off. I'm inclined to think that he's saved at the wicket gate. Christ is the gate. He is the door. He is the narrow point at which people come through. He's convicted early on. He's called by others a Christian prior to the wicked gate. But what he experiences at the cross, I think, is when he actually understands what the cross is about and his feeling of conviction and burden, his his receiving the assurance of the Holy Spirit comes in full. There are many genuine believers who still carry around burdens that they don't have to. There are many genuine believers who lack a scroll of assurance who could have it by being taught about the cross. But what I think Bunyan is actually doing here is instructive because he's, he's perhaps not saying that this experience of Christian is the way of the Christian life, the normative experience. I think it's autobiographical in many senses. And it's, there's many Christians who experience what he does. They, they come to faith but they still carry a burden. They don't fully know the truth and the glories found in the cross. Moving on from the cross, Christian meets three men asleep at the foot of the cross. That right there is instructive. How could you sleep at the foot of the cross? If you had made it this far in the journey, why would you not keep going? These men are pictured with chains around their ankles. Their names are simple, sloth, and presumption. Bunyan describes these men as resting at the bottom. Quote, out of the way. They're no longer walking on the high ground. That one can see clearly to keep your way, keep your path. They wandered out of the sight of the cross. They distanced themselves from the Lord and from His Word. 
They found a space that they think is a place of refuge and safety. They can escape the hardships, the the discomforts of the journey. But they're within the vicinity of the cross. Perhaps they made an emotional profession at the cross, but now their decisions have changed. They've settled down in vain hope of avoiding judgment. But despite the nearness of the gospel, they remain out of the way and in bondage. It's not good to make a start in the things of God or to think that you will avoid judgment simply by proximity to the cross, proximity to religion. True perseverance and faith is what counts in the end. And these three men have different responses to Christian as Christian engages them, each showing a kind of different foolish response to the gospel call. Simple is simply unconcerned about the one who goes around around roaring like a lion seeking to devour. He just doesn't care. Simple needs prudence. He needs wisdom. He's like the fool in Proverbs who will not listen to Lady Wisdom. He only is brought in by Lady Folly. The path of which is eventual destruction. Likewise, sloth, which is laziness. He says he needs more sleep. Go away, I'm, I'm sleepy. It's like Proverbs 6, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a lion. Need will come upon you like an armed man. And then presumption, the third man, responds to Christian with a strange phrase to us. He says to Christian, every tub must stand upon its own bottom. What's that? He's saying... Mind your business. I can handle my own affairs. I, can, I got it. Don't come in here with all your religious conviction, your, your words from the book. I don't want to hear that. I'll handle it on my own. If you keep reading into part two of Pilgrim's Progress, where Christiana, the wife of Christian, goes on her journey with others, other pilgrims, You meet these three men again, simple sloth and presumption. And the text says, I saw in my dream that they went on to the place that simple sloth and presumption lay and slept in and where Christian had met them on their pilgrimage. And behold, these three men were hanged up in irons a little way off on the other side. And then said Mercy, the character that was walking there. To their guide, what are those three men and why are they hanged there? And a character named Greatheart responds that these three men were men of very bad qualities. They had no mind to be pilgrims themselves and whosoever they could, they hindered on their pilgrimage. They were sloth and folly for themselves and whosoever they could persuade, they tried to do so. And whoever they could teach to presume... They should try to do so at last. 
They were asleep when Christian went by, and now you go by and they are hanged. Their fate is not good. Bunyan would have us to know that simpleness, naivety, slothfulness, and presumption have no place in the Christian life. Now, unlike these three characters who have no interest in formal religion, no interest in the things of God, external faith, acts of piety, we meet two men, formalist and hypocrisy. These two men have great interest in external formal religion. And these two men significantly are pictured tumbling over the wall, the wall of salvation, on the left side of the narrow way. They're not going through the wicket gate. They're trying to jump into the path a little downstream. Formalist is someone who thinks that he can sneak into the way of salvation without going through the wicket gate simply by possessing the outward appearance of salvation. Going through the motions, wearing all the right things, saying all the right things, acting for all that could look from the outside as if he were a genuine believer. Some scholars think that this is Bunyan's critique of the Anglican church. Probably so. Bunyan, if you recall, was jailed for preaching without a license from the Church of England, the Anglican church. And so wouldn't surprise me if he wanted to picture his, uh, his, uh, the people that have captured him and jailed him in a formalistic way. Paul describes the situation in 2 Timothy 3 in terms of those who have the outward form of godliness but deny its power. Think of the, the high church of the day. All the smells and bells, if you will. Burning of the incense, wearing of the robes, having all the tassels, saying all the right things, usually in Latin. But their heart is far from God. But formalist has a little more merit, we might say to me, than hypocrisy does. Formalist is working hard as he thinks these external works are going to do him some good. Hypocrisy is the opposite. He's lying. He says, I'm going to do these outward things, but I know that they're meaningless. (coughs) Hypocrisy tries to enter the way of salvation by acting right on Sunday but remaining hypocritical the rest of the week. And it's when they're questioned by a Christian, it's interesting that they both cite custom, tradition. Christian asked them an important question. He said, will your, will your practice, will your behavior, will your deeds... Stand a trial? Will they stand up to the law? And they both cite not the wicked gate. They don't cite the cross and the sepulchre. They don't cite anything that was said to them or given to them by shining ones. They told them that custom, being so long standing 
above a thousand years would doubtless now be admitted as a thing legal by an impartial judge. Besides, how could I get into the way, the path, if I wasn't truly protected by custom? This is a very common argument by those in the Church of England at the time. The Puritans were trying to continue to purify the Church of England. They wanted to get rid of the vestments, the clothing. They wanted to get rid of the, the, uh, the, the, the rituals, the rites. They wanted to stop reading from the Book of Common Prayer as if that reading alone, that liturgical dance would be sufficient. And the Church of England would cite tradition, custom, history, going back a long way. Bunyan is teaching us here that external works are not enough. Formalistic religion, going through the motions, is not the same as coming through the wicked gate and staring at the cross and feeling your burden rolled away. We see soon after Christian coming to the hill of difficulty. This is an important scene here. Bunyan wanting to remind us of the necessity in the Christian life of staying awake. Of being watchful, of being vigilant in the Christian life. It's similar to what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5. Paul says... You're all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who are asleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and a helmet of the hope of salvation. The the Christian life is a is to be approached with sobriety and carefulness, seriousness. There's, there's no coasting. There's no cruise control. Christian undoubtedly came from the cross feeling as light as a feather. I can handle anything now. I can, I can prance along, carefree. He's, he's approaching this hill that he will soon see as a hill of great difficulty. Trying to decide how much to read. Christian approaches this hill which is called difficulty... At the base of it, he drank from a spring, he refreshed himself a little bit, and then he began to go up the hill. And the two others came with him, formalist in hypocrisy. And they saw that the hill was steep, it was very high, and that there were two ways to go. Now, the name of one of those was danger, and the other was destruction. So one of them took the way called danger, which led them into a great wood. And the other directly went up the way called destruction, which led him into a wide field full of dark mountains. 
and he stumbled and he fell and he rose no more. The fate of formalist and hypocrisy is sealed. Trying to avoid a hill of difficulty, trying to avoid true persecution, true trial in the Christian life, they eventually go the path of danger and destruction. The Christian keeps going. We find him going up the hill, clamoring upon his hands and his knees because of the steepness of the place. Note also, we're not far from the cross, are we? Difficulty is soon going to come to every believer, to every young believer. You just came through the wicked gate. Suffering will come. But halfway up the hill, he finds a pleasant arbor, a little resting spot made by the Lord of the hill. He makes it for the refreshment of weary travelers. And Christian got there and he sat down and he wanted to take a rest. He sits down and he pulls out his roll. It's in his bosom pocket. And he read it to take comfort. He's being refreshed by a word of grace, a reminder of his status, of the message that the king has given to him. And being, um, he sits down, he, he takes a fresh a review of his coat, of the garment that was given to him while he stood by the cross. And he pleased himself. And having pleased himself a while, he fell into a deep slumber. He fell flat, fast asleep. And it detained him in that place until it was almost night. And in his sleep, his roll, his scroll, fell out of his hand. Bunyan is picturing for us how Christian has lost his assurance. His scroll has fallen out of his hand. And he eventually wakes up. And he's in a panic. He'd just gotten from the cross. And he's lost his assurance. Bunyan is instructive here. And again, I don't, I don't know that he's saying that this is of necessity, necessarily the experience of every believer. But he's certainly illustrating that it's possible for a new believer to have strong, immediate terrifying trials related to assurance and doubt very soon after conversion. Bunyan himself struggled with doubt and assurance. He describes a time early in his imprisonment when he struggled with fears and doubts. He feared that he would be sentenced to die. He feared that he was too weak to actually bear witness to Christ in the face of his own death. He was overwhelmed by fear He was perplexed, tempted to even doubt his own salvation. Here's a portion of what he wrote. I was in a very sad and low condition for many weeks. It wasn't a fleeting, passing feeling. I, being but a young prisoner, not acquainted with the laws, had this lying upon my spirit that my imprisonment would end at the gallows, for all I could tell. Satan laid hard at me. He tried to beat me out of my heart, suggesting things 
unto me. Satan whispering in his ear, saying, But how if you indeed have come to die? How, why should you be in this condition? That is, not to savor the things of God, nor have any evidence upon your soul for a better state hereafter. For indeed, at this time, all the things of God were hid from my soul. Satan's saying, how, if you're a genuine believer, how could you get in this position? And how could you have so little to show to the Lord who would say that you could come into heaven? It says, wherefore I began at first to think of this. It was a great trouble to me. I thought within myself that in my condition that I was in now, I was not fit to die. Neither do I think that I could die, rightly, if I was called to it. I thought to myself, if I should make a scrambling shift up the ladder, he's talking about if I was going to have to climb the gallows, and I, I would slip and stumble either with quaking because of fear, or with other symptoms of fainting, his falling, his shifting on the ladder would give occasion to the enemy to reproach the way of God and the people of God for their fearfulness. He's saying, I'm afraid that I'm not strong enough and I'm just going to be shaking going up the gallows and people are going to say, you see, this is what those Christians do. They are so afraid they can't even climb a ladder. They speak of boldness, but they have none. He thought he was, he, Bunyan says, I was ashamed to die with a fail pace and tottering knees. And so I prayed. I prayed to God that he would comfort me and give me strength to do and to suffer what he should call me to do. And yet no comfort appeared. All comfort continued to be hid. I was also at this time really possessed with the thought of death. That I often thought as if I was on a ladder and had the rope already around my neck. But only this was of some encouragement to me. I thought that I might now have an opportunity to speak my last words to a crowd who would come to see me die. And I thought to myself, well, if I must die, if God will but convert one soul... With my very last words, then I shall not count my life lost or thrown away. This is what Christian's trying to comfort himself with. Well, if I've got to die, at least I'll have a crowd and I can speak the gospel one more time. Perhaps God will see one saved. But in all these things, all these times, the things of God were kept out of my sight and the tempter followed me. Satan leading him around, whispering to him. He says, but where, where are you going to go when you die? What will become of you? Where will you be found in that other world? What evidence have you for heaven and of glory and an inheritance among those that are being sanctified? Thus, Bunyan writes, I was tossed for many weeks and knew not what to do. What Bunyan's picturing here in the hill of difficulty and the losing of the scroll is a real issue. A lack of assurance. How can I know that I can be saved? That I am saved, that is. How do I know that I am saved? Well, the, the Roman church of the day would say, well, you can't know for sure. 
So you need to keep coming back and taking the Mass, confessing your sins, doing penance. And then when you die, have the last rites done over you. And then you've got a pretty good hope that you'll be okay. And if it's not enough merit, then you'll just be in purgatory for a little while and then you'll end up in heaven anyway. The Protestant Reformation had many glorious recoveries, one of which was the doctrine of the Holy Spirit's work in the heart of a believer and assurance of salvation. In the 17th century, the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is the Presbyterians, the Savoy Declaration, which was the Confession of Faith of the Independents, and the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession, all have statements about the assurance of salvation within them. Our confession reads, chapter 20, paragraph 4, True believers may in various ways have the assurance of their salvation shaken, decreased, or even temporarily lost. That's the assurance, not the salvation. This may happen because they neglect to preserve it. Or because they fall into some specific sin that wounds their conscience and grieves the Holy Spirit. God, in His love, can withdraw the ministering presence of the Holy Spirit. Our sense of the Holy Spirit's comfort. So as to reveal to us some pattern of sin. Scare us a little bit in a good way. That we might come back to God and forsake that sin. It may happen through some expected or forceful temptation. Or when God withdraws the light of His face and allows even those who fear Him to walk in darkness and to have no light. The Puritans would write of the experience, they would call it desertion. If you feel deserted, it doesn't mean that God has actually deserted you. Or that you have lost your salvation. But he's withdrawn the Spirit's ministering presence. The statement then continues. Yet they're never completely lacking the seed of God. The life of faith. The love of Christ and the brethren. Sincerity of heart or conscience concerning their duty. Out of these graces through the work of the Spirit. Their assurance may at the proper time be revived. In the meantime, they are kept from utter despair through them. It's a very important statement. Christian has not lost his name, has he? He's still Christian. Bunyan describes again in his autobiography how he regained assurance after being tossed about for many weeks. He says... It was the word of God and the way of God that fell upon me with great weight. He said, I thought also that God might choose whether he would give me comfort now or at the hour of my death. But either way, I would choose to hold my profession, even if that comfort never came. I was bound, but he, God, is free. Yea, it was my duty to stand To his word, whether he would ever look upon me or so. Wherefore, thought I, the point being this, 
I'm going on and venturing my eternal state with Christ, whether I have comfort or not here. If God does not come in, thought I, I will leap off the ladder that's on the gallows, blindfold into eternity, sink or swim, come heaven or hell. Lord Jesus, if you will catch me, do. If not, I will still venture for your name. That's conviction. The world doesn't understand that. Um, Bunyan later says, My heart eventually became full of comfort. He reflects upon specifically Psalm 44. And he makes an interesting statement towards the end of that paragraph. He says, I would not have been without this trial for much, and I am comforted every time I think of it, and I hope I shall bless God forever for the teaching that I have had by it. The greatest lessons we experience in this life, in this Christian pilgrimage, are not at the mountain peaks, per se, not at the delectable mountains that Christian will soon see, but on the hills of difficulty, in the valleys, it's often where we experience the greatest teaching. And it's usually once we've left looking backwards, reflecting upon that time. It's really, really hard in the bottom of the pit to see and to genuinely embrace the spiritual lessons to be had. That's why we need each other. We need encouragement along the way. We need to be reminded of the truth. Bunyan regained his assurance, like Christian eventually does. Christian, having realized he lost his role, runs around. He says, oh, wretched man that I am, I had fallen asleep. I I should be awake in the daytime, but I've I've fallen asleep. How could I indulge the flesh and use that rest to ease my flesh? He goes on and on. He's, He's really... Similar to Pauline language. Who will rescue me from this body of death, Paul says. He laments. But he goes back. And he finds the role. Underneath a wooden bench. With which. The, the roll which he grabbed with trembling haste. And he caught up and he put it in his bosom pocket. But who can tell how joyful this man was when he had gotten his role again? For this role was the assurance of his life and the acceptance that he had at his desired haven. Therefore he laid it up in his bosom and he gave thanks to God for directing his eye to the place where the role lay. And with joy and with tears he betook himself again on his journey. And then an interesting statement. He says, but... Oh, how nimbly did he go up the rest of the hill. What was it described before when he was going up the hill? He was on his hands and knees clawing up the hill. But his experience at the hill of difficulty the second time, he's nimbly making his way up the hill. 
his footing is more sure because he had lost the scroll. God, in his mysterious, wonderful providence, can make your spiritual journey better because you have experienced the trials. Because you have gone through the trials. Christians' faith is made stronger because of the loss of the scroll. We have to remember that. Oh, how nimbly did he go up the rest of the way. That's all I'm going to be able to get to today. We'll pick up next week. We're starting to get to some fun things. The delectable mountains. Several new characters come in. But for now, let's, let's pray and then we'll go upstairs. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would help us to guard our scroll. Help us to be awake and watchful. Help us to not lose the assurance of our salvation. Help us to remember the promises that you give to us in your word. That Christ has abolished death. That because of our faith, simply by faith, we too are promised life beyond the grave. Help us to believe, to trust, to have confidence, to to not doubt the promises found in your word, to remember the name that we have been given, the mark that has been placed on our forehead, the raiment, the clothing, the robes of Christ's righteousness that have been put around us, and the declaration, thy sins are forgiven. Help us to remember. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.